Good morning. It has been great to worship with you, to worship our God together. Welcome to White Plains Baptist Church. My name is Gary, and I joyfully serve as the senior pastor here. And if you're new to us, I want to say a special welcome to you. Thank you for being our guest. I want to say um, that you're an answer to prayer. I've been praying for you and your families this week, and as our guest, I hope that you find our church to be a warm and welcoming group of people. Thank you for being our guest. And I want to echo uh, thanks to our worship team. Thank you, Brett, and the worship team for the way you led the worship uh, for our community to worship our God together last night at the park. What a wonderful way to show the love uh, this church has for Allen County to encourage the faithful here in this community to worship our God together outside the walls of the church and in the community and in the nature um, that surrounded us last night. Thank you uh, for leading us in worship. Kids, it's always good to see you here at church. Did you have a good first few days of school, I hope? What about you teachers? Been pretty good for you? Um, Many people have been praying for you. We spent last Sunday night praying for you. We spent, several of us spent Wednesday praying for you hour by hour while you all were in school for your first day, uh, for you and your teachers and the staff. Um, It was good to see so many of you all come uh, Wednesday night to our family night. We had a full chapel of, of kids and adults and teenagers. Um, and if you're able to come, now that school's back in session, we'd encourage you to, to be a part of family night and join us at 6 o'clock. We'll, we start off uh, in the chapel at 6 for some worship. And then kids get to go and hang out with Jordan and Becca and do some fun stuff. The students go do their thing, and, and adults get to talk with me about angels and demons and fun stuff like that. So... So kids, you're, you're, you're invited to come to be a part of that too. It's a fun time for you. Uh, thank you for being here today. I'm going to go ahead and d- dismiss you to the lobby so that you can be taken up to Kids Church. Kids Church is for kids in kindergarten through fifth grade. Parents and grandparents, you can pick them up on your way out after our service today. And that As they're leaving, I want to let you know that Since school is back in session, we're going to continue to show love to our community through feeding the high school sports teams. This was something we've done last year and a little bit the year before. And it's an approach for us to show love to the teens in our community while building relationships with them and the coaching staffs. When the coaches and players drive past our building, and many of them do on their way to work and school, I want them to look at our building and think that church really loves our community. And this is one way that we're we're doing that uh, by reaching out to uh, everyone in our community through the school system, through the sports teams. Uh, We're trusting that God will use this strategy to make it easier for players and our coaches in the community to consider our church and to consider the faith when life comes their way and they don't have answers to what may be happening that they can remember the kindness that we showed them, the love that we showed them, and point them to the gospel, and they would look back at this building and these people, you all, uh, to say, this is a safe place, a place that loves me, and uh, as they go through life, they would be welcomed here. Uh, It's also a way of giving our teenagers, especially in the high school, a chance to bring up their church and their faith in conversation uh, with their friends and their teachers at school. And last year, we really had a a, a great response from from the students and the teachers and the coaches, and we look forward to building off that foundation this year. Uh, We're going to need your help to pass out that food uh, to our um, teams and, and coaches to show hospitality to those players and to build relationships with the coaching staff. 
through this strategy. The first team that we're feeding is the boys and girls golf team, and that's this Tuesday. And this is exciting because I don't know if y'all realize this, but we have two of the best golfers in the school, in our church. And so this is a good way to encourage them and to feed them uh, before their match. It's going to be this Tuesday at 3.30 at the Scottsville Country Club. And if you're available, uh, would you consider stopping by and helping us feed and encourage the team before they, they play uh, on Tuesday? Our student ministry director, Cooper Guy, he's excited about picking this strategy up, and he's looking forward to serving with you in this way. In fact, he's thought through this strategy, and he's looking to expand it, and he's, he'll have some exciting updates soon, uh, and when all those details are firmed up, he'll, he'll share that with you. But thank you for being a church that loves our community and loves our kids. And we're going to be in Jude this morning as we continue in our series, Unfollow. We're spending five weeks going through a very short letter of Jude. We're reading through this, studying through it verse by verse, to really try to understand it, and not only understand it, but to apply it, to live by it. The letter says difficult things, but if any book be allowed to tell us difficult things, shouldn't the Bible be able to tell us difficult things? The Bible is constantly scrutinized by the world, and it is continually, the world is trying to continually discount and discredit the Bible. The church that doesn't know and live by the Bible is going to be a church that will ultimately unfollow Jesus. This is why we're spending time with this often ignored letter of the New Testament, because we don't want to unfollow the one that we're called to follow. As your pastor, I don't want to let the world sneak in in your mind and lead you away. I want to use the Bible to point out to you how false teachers attempt to lead you to follow your own desires, to follow your own opinions, your own feelings, your own thoughts, and your own sin. No one, no one is immune to following or the temptation of following a false teacher. Or false teaching. No one is immune to that. And so let's look at Jude 5 through 7 this morning. And there's only one chapter in Jude, so we're looking at verses 5 through 7 this morning. We'll read through the ESV first, and then we'll look at the New Living Translation uh, as we look at what Jude is writing to us. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept an eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. That's the English Standard Version. That's a word-for-word -word translation strategy from the original languages. Now let's look at the New Living Translation, and this is a meaning-for-meaning -meaning or a phrase-by-phrase -phrase attempt at translating the original language. This is Jude 5-7 through 7 in the New Living Translation. So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt. 
but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. Let's pray in response to what we just read this morning. God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the warning that you've sent us in Jude. Lord, I pray that as we consider the words you wrote to us this morning, Lord, will they serve us as a warning? Would these examples that you've given us, and as we look at them, would they, would they warn us? Help us to live in response to your word. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So that's three verses in Jude. Let's, let's go back and read the first four just to get an understanding of what's actually happening. This is the first four verses. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jude is the author of this book. He's the half-brother of Jesus and full-brother of James, and he writes to a group of people who have false teachers in their church and in their minds. These false teachers have snuck in. They begin teaching things that pervert the grace of God. These false teachers, in that, they are denying Jesus and leading others to do so by allowing the grace of God to entice their sinful desires. This morning, we're going to be looking at three examples in Jude 5 through 7 as he warns his readers to not to follow the false teachers who've snuck into the church and into their minds recognizing and pivoting away from false teaching and false teachers is a major theme in the New Testament letters especially. When you allow a false teacher in your mind and in your thoughts and begin to follow them, you are in effect unfollowing Jesus. Jude doesn't want this for his readers. I don't want this for you. Jude gives us three examples of judgment to remind us of the truth that Jesus saves and destroys. And to unfollow Jesus leads one to destruction. Let's look again at verse 5. I'll read from the ESV. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. This is an interesting verse, I think. Interesting verse. Jude wants to remind them of something they fully knew. They already knew this, but Jude seems to need to remind them. This implies they must have forgotten it. 
the men's Bible study that meets on Thursday mornings. We've been going through Exodus for about a year and a half, it seems like. <laughs> We're about to finish in the next six months, probably, but uh, we've been going through Exodus, and we spent, un- we spent time unpacking what Jude is referring to here. The people of Israel, throughout the whole Old Testament, really, prove to us that they are a forgetful people. They need to be constantly reminded of what God has done. And God, in the Old Testament, done some pretty miraculous things for them, but they forget. Jude implies that Christians in the church are really no different. We are a forgetful people. We need to be reminded of, what God, of God and what he does. Jude gives us something to think about here also in this second part of his reminder. In your notes, I have this question for you. Why would Jesus rescue and deliver someone just to later destroy them? Do you find that an interesting thought? What do you think? Why would Jesus rescue and deliver someone or a group just to later destroy them? Does that sound like Jesus? I mean, it is, but is that what we think of him? Let me tell you some truths about Jesus as I've thought through this question and how to answer this question. First, Jesus is loving. Jesus is absolutely a loving person. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 say, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Jesus is loving. Absolutely. Secondly, in your notes, Jesus is patient. Not only is Jesus loving, he is patient. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Jesus is loving, he's patient, and he's gracious. John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is all these things. He is also just. Deuteronomy 32. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. And then lastly, Jesus is holy. Jesus is holy. Mark 124. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. All these things are true about Jesus. And they help us to understand how God could rescue and deliver a group of people to later to destroy them. His holiness and his justness, those character traits demand payment for sin. His loving, patient, and gracious nature provides for that payment. Jesus rescued a people out of Egypt. 
It was a time of proving himself to the people of Israel. He was loving and gracious in that. As their creator and their rescuer, Jesus desired to have a relationship with the people of Israel. He gave them a culture, and with great patience, he gave them the right way to live in response to a God who rescued them. The people of Israel didn't live up to that. The just and holy nature of God rightly destroyed those who did not believe. As a created being under the authority of the Creator, that's the way it works. That's just how it works. We are created. He is the Creator. And this, in Jude, is a warning to not follow those false teachers into disbelief or unbelief in Jesus because destruction awaits. Let's look at verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains, chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. What is Jude talking about here? Do you know? Could you pull out from the Old Testament what's happening here that Jude is referring to? It's in, the, it's in Scripture. We just started our Wednesday night class and family nights with the adults on the invisible creation. Angels are part of that discussion. It's, it's been a fascinating conversation so far. Uh, during the Summer and the Psalms uh, series, we looked at the two created realms of God's creation, the heavenly realms and the earthly realm, and both realms are created by God. Now Jude is talking about the sinful struggles that the heavenly realm dealt with. Do you ever think about the heavenly realm dealing with sinful struggles? It happens. Both realms are under God's authority, and Jude 6 is reminding us of what led up to the flood. Let's look at Genesis 6, verses 1 through 4. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. It's Genesis 1, or 6, 1 through 4. Now, we're going to start studying Genesis in the new year. I'm looking forward to spending time with you working through this very important book of the Bible. Genesis 6 is the flood narrative. If you look at, at, the, at your Bible in the Old Testament, Genesis 6 is the flood narrative. But the flood writing doesn't start until verse 9. The first seven verses are the beginning of the reason for the flood. And verse 8 talks about Noah, and then the flood happens in verse 9. I would encourage you to spend some time in Genesis 6 this week just to see what all is happening and why. But the first four verses of Genesis 6 is what Jude is alluding to when he speaks about angels not staying within their position of authority. The heavenly realm is susceptible to sin just like you and I. And God punishes 
their sin in similar ways. Much of our thought in modern Christianity is narrowly focused on what we can see, who we can blame, and what we don't even realize, there is another realm of God's creation that is actively involved in our lives and in our circumstances. The heavenly realm is not perfect. There are good guys and there are bad guys in the heavenly realm. And the bad guys want nothing more than to lead you away and cause you to unfollow God. Don't let them. Contend for your faith. Contend for the faith. The sins of angels are pride and lust. The sins of the heavenly realm, they're similar to sins that you and I struggle with. Do you realize that? I find it interesting. Some of the heavenly realm, some of them are tempted with pride. Some sin because of that pride. Their pride caused them to leave their position the, authority, the position of authority that God, their creator, gave them. They weren't pleased in serving God. They wanted to be God. Their struggles don't sound much different than ours, than churches. Many churches, many Christians, many people get tired of serving the God that saves them. They want to be God. They create all kinds of things that point to them as God. And I pray that that's not us, that that's not me, that's not you, that's not us as a church, that we would always and continually serve the God who created us and saved us, that we would never try to create a place that points to us as God. But some churches are tempted with that. Many pastors are tempted with that. Let that not be us. Let that be us. Their lust in Genesis 6 for the earthly realm's women fueled their desire. Pride and lust empowered their rebellion against God and the natural order of things. The sins of the heavenly realm got involved with the earthly realm. And destruction soon followed. The flood that God used to wipe out this rebellion was just a few verses later. God punishes sin and rebellion. This is another warning to the church to be serious about what it teaches. The church needs to be serious about what it teaches and what it allows in its minds. To not let false teachers loose in the minds of its people. If God destroys all but one family on that ark because of the sensual and prideful sins of fallen angels influencing the earthly realm, don't you think God cares about what we think and do, especially as it relates to him? He wants you to know the truth about him and to live in response to that truth. The truth is only found, or it's primarily found, in the Bible. False teachers Lead the church away because they're perverting the grace of God. Let's look at verse 7 as Jude gives us one more biblical example to warn us to watch who we're following. This is verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, 
serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Jude gives us a warning here, another one from the Old Testament, a biblical example of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's look at Genesis 19, 1 through 5, to see what's happening in this example. This is Genesis 19, 1 through 5. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. He made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Who are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. What is happening here? You know this story. You've probably heard it preached in the past, and this is part of the passage that Jude is using to warn us that sin destroys lives. What is the sin that is bringing destruction to these cities? Now, the world doesn't want us to acknowledge these activities as sin. And just like in Jude, there are even those in the church or denominations who are teaching that this activity is not really sin. But the Bible is clear. Lust, in all its expressions, is sinful. Homosexual desires are just a small expression of a much bigger category of sin that is lust. Lust is a temptation for humanity. It's a temptation for angels. It expresses itself naturally and through unnatural behaviors, and both are sinful. Dealing with this is as much a struggle for the church today as it was for the early church. Jude is dealing with this. Paul is dealing with this. Let's look at Romans 1, 24 through 27. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Right before this, in Romans 1, Paul says that the truth of God is plain for all to see. The truth of God is plain for us all to see. It's there. God doesn't hide it. It's plain. But our sin blinds us to that truth. We exchange that truth for a lie. And this is what the false teachers do inside the church. 
with those who know God. We are, term, we are tempted to serve the creature, ourselves, and especially those false teachers, rather than the Creator, because those false teachers, they're telling us something that our sin likes to hear. The gospel is good news. And with good news, there probably has to be bad news, or it wouldn't be good. How can you have good news if there's not bad news? The bad news is sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. All sin has consequences. Jude points to the everlasting punishment that awaits those who don't repent of their sin and don't follow Jesus. Everlasting is forever. Everlasting is forever, which is a long, long time. Punishment that is everlasting is not desirable, especially because it lasts forever. And it awaits those who follow their heart and not their creator. Jude is often skipped over because it's not a feel-good book. This passage today is meant to serve as a warning against following the false ideas that sneak their way into the church and say that God's grace allows sin to be okay. Warnings are seldom feel-good, but they are coming from a place of love and care. Jude cares for his readers. Jesus cares for you. Let me remind you of what Jesus said in Mark 8, 34 through 38 from last week. In calling to the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Every one of us, no matter what temptations we may deal with, are called to the same thing. No matter what sin issues you may have in your life, what temptations you may struggle with, no matter, we're all called to the same thing, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus. Now, I know this hasn't been a feel-good message. Can I change that a little bit? Can I just take a moment a little bit and give you something to feel good about this morning? No matter what temptation or sin that is plaguing your life, Jesus will warmly welcome you. Jesus will warmly welcome you into his arms as your trust in him leads you to live for him. We are saved by grace through faith. Remember, Jesus is gracious. We are saved by grace through faith, by faithfully believing that Jesus is who he says he is. 
and that he can do what he says he does. Namely, make you right with God. We are saved by grace through faith. Faith is active trust. It lives itself out in our actions, in our beliefs, in our words. It shows itself in denying ourselves and following Jesus according to his word in the Bible. This is good news, and it does start with bad news. That we sin. We all sin. No one is without exception. We are, none of us are exempt from sin. Temptation is constantly trying to pull us away and pull us into sin. Sin has consequences. Death is the ultimate punishment, the ultimate end for our sin. Punishment forever awaits to those who don't follow Jesus, for those who prefer their sin over their Savior. But Jesus, the Savior, while we were still sinners, died for us. This is a big part of what the Bible is all about, that Jesus did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Jesus makes you right with God. His death serves as a punishment for your sin. That is love. That is grace. That is Jesus. He recognizes sin. He understands its reality. He knows the punishment it demands, and he stands in for you. Follow him. Repent. Turn from the sin that clouds your life. Trust in Jesus to do this for you. Then live a life that denies yourself as you follow Jesus. I'll invite the worship team to come back. And I know this has been a hard message to hear, but I know that God forgives and God restores. He can do that for you. Sometimes it's instant. Sometimes it's like this instant type of shift that happens in your mind and in your life. Sometimes the realization of your sin hits you so hard, it's like a ton of bricks and you're brought low very low before God in that sin, and he immediately removes that weight of that heavy burden of your sin. Sometimes it's that way. And if that's what it was like for you, then follow Jesus closely. Maybe that's the way it was for you as you came to faith, but it seems like it's more normal for that, that it comes, that this, this realization of your sin comes slower, that God's love for you reveals itself to you in a process, and it can take time to pierce through those walls of sin in your life. And if you're still in your sinful nature and you sense God pulling at those layers of sin in your life, trust that God's will is at work in your life. Trust him, even as he pulls at those layers, trust him. The first disciples that Jesus called to follow him, they followed, then they believed. Trust in Jesus. Follow him, even as you begin to understand him. This morning, maybe you just need some quiet prayer with God to deal with the sin that you allow to still be in your life, even after you follow Jesus. Maybe you've followed a false belief for a while, and you need some time to consider that with God and to confess that with God, to repent of it, to turn away from that and turn to Jesus. Let's do that this morning. Would you stand as we pray and respond to these warnings from Jude that he's given us this morning?
God, we thank you for your words to us. Your loving kindness to warn us from examples in the Old Testament. Help us to consider our thoughts of you, to consider our actions in response to you. Help us to repent, to confess what needs to be confessed, to turn away from what we need to turn away from. Help us to turn to you this morning. Let's take a quiet moment of prayer as we deal with God's word this morning. Strengthen us to live a life of denying ourselves and following you. Let that be our desire. And it, as it is our desire, Lord, strengthen us to, to live according to that desire. Give us a clean heart and pure hands. Help us to live a life that pleases you and honors you in response to the grace that you give us. Thank you for Jesus in his death on the cross for our sin. It's in his name we pray. Amen.